Hello, everyone. I am so glad and so excited to have Brandon Flannery on the show today. I've been following him on TikTok for a while now, and it's just so awesome to see him in person. And we were talking quite a bit before we started recording this, so I'm glad I got to know him a little bit. But I'm excited to have him on and to really also talk about his memoir that just came out. And it is called Stumbling, a Sassy Memoir About Coming Out of Evangelicalism. Love that tagline there so much. But (laughs) I'm so excited to have you on, Brandon. How are you doing? Thank you so much, Andrew. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. As we were chatting earlier, like loving the content you're putting out. I think it's super important. And yeah, just really happy to be here. The fact that you like found me, a year, I think you said a year and a half ago, just crazy. I think that you were, that was pretty early on in TikTok world. Yeah. yeah, It's awesome. been good. Yeah. Super yeah. excited to be here and excited to chat. Awesome. And so for people who do not know you, could you do a, a quick introduction? Yeah, absolutely. My name is Brandon Flannery. As Andrew said, I've got a sassy memoir called Stumbling coming out August 22nd with Lake Jarrett Books. I'm an ex-pastor, ex-missionary, ex-evangelical. I've been writing about the intersection of faith and sexuality for about, I want to say, five or six years. So I've been an editor with a newspaper and then been doing some freelance writing with different publications. Probably my biggest publication that people have bumped into is why people are leaving Christianity that Baptist News Global picked up. So I interviewed, sorry, I interviewed, I surveyed 1,200 people, asking them why they were leaving Christianity. And my six questions were, what did, what was your framework growing up as a child? What's your framework now? When did you first start doubting? What was the final straw? What have you gained since leaving? And what do you miss? Catalog that data, you can check that out. I think I'm still the first result if you google why are people leaving christianity on google which is kind of fun that's um, so awesome yeah. yeah good job baptist news global because their seo is i guess on it so anyway that's kind of me in a nutshell i love writing i've been doing it for a very long time and yeah i think that's it there we go awesome and i'm so excited about your memoir and i'm so glad that lake drive books gave me a free copy of that i will definitely be buying a copy of it too in the future I'm excited oh, to dig into it, but could you give a description of the memoir and like the angle that you take to it? For sure. So for me, I've always been someone that's been more motivated and learn more from story. I think that my favorite types of books is our memoirs because I think that they communicate beauty and lessons that transcend just here's the three points on how to move past evangelicalism. Like I, it's not the book. I wrote the book that I would want to read. And so for me, it follows my journey of deconstructing my faith and leaving evangelicalism and then what I find on the other side. So it opens up with me finishing up being a missionary with YWAM Ministries over in Berlin. I start hitchhiking through Europe because I didn't want to come home. And Literally, immediately after being a missionary hitchhiking, I start having a lot of questions and a lot of personal things kind of hit the fan with my family that caused me to have even more questions. My flavor of Christianity was pretty charismatic. So like the idea of praying for things and expecting God to perform miracles was not out of the ordinary. And seeing a lack of miracles as I like prayed, probably the most visceral one is like a woman in India She got hit by a bus, lost one of her legs, and I'm praying for her, asking her to stand up on her one leg, hoping that like something could happen. And she's just like crying in my arms, asking me like why God won't heal me. And I'm like, I don't know. I like did the things and it's not happening. And so I like a lot of moments like that, some family stuff. My brother literally had a car accident where his leg also was injured and people are not praying for him. And I experienced this woman in India and I'm like, what is this? What is going on? What do I feel about any of this? And a lot of like abuse came to the surface from ministries and churches that I worked at, a lot of scandal. It all just hit ahead. And so I started to really critique and analyze. I came out after falling in love with someone and kind of asking the big question of what's wrong with loving someone. I didn't have a good answer. And so I started to critique everything and all came tumbling down. And then, but I don't just leave it there. I What I do is move through it and then point out the what I call breadcrumbs I found on the other side. So opening up my book, I describe it as a, meta, a metaphor of wandering through the forest. Like I think a lot of us, when we leave evangelicalism, we feel so lost and disoriented. 
And instead of me saying, here's true north, I don't believe that anymore. And I think anyone that does is selling you something. But I do say, here's where I stumbled. That's why it's called that. This is why I felt where I fell into a thorn bush. Here's some breadcrumbs. Here, if you keep going, here's a little note that says, if just go another half mile and there's going to be a spring. If you keep going, there's going to be a glade that you can camp at. So while I'm not saying I have the way, here's my way. And maybe you can gain something from that. Maybe you can feel seen. Maybe I can give you some space to process. And hopefully I can give you some hope that there are some nuggets to move through and beyond evangelicalism. So I will own, I think this is important. I did another podcast this past week with some hosts that they do this really great podcast called the Deconstruction Podcast and sorry, Deconversion Podcast. And they're atheists. And I just, for especially for their audience, I was like, I want to like own, I like don't leave and become like an atheist. Like I did live there for a little bit, but I now come to the space of a theist, agnostic theist type thing. Like I'm still figuring out what this looks like, but instead of being scared that I don't have the right answers, like I did in evangelicalism, I have a lot more excitement of what if and what about and the mystery that is life and what could lay beyond. I think it's like nice informed consent because as a queer person who's gone to churches and they say, all are welcome. And you get in there and they're not. I'd rather just give some informed consent for those that pick up my book. So yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that is what is so powerful about memoirs is people picking it up, reading it, and seeing their story in your own and taking what they can for that to assist them on their own journey, you showing them your way and what helps you. And it's just so inspirational and so powerful to be able to do that for others. And I know like it's, I'm sure it's so healing for you and also painful to work Mm. through that because you were in deep, you were a pastor and you were a missionary. It was your whole world. And so I'm really curious, before you maybe before you became a pastor, before you became a missionary, like what was your introduction to Christianity or religion? Mm-hmm. What group were yeah, you a part of? I think I Yeah. I describe my flavor of Christianity somewhere after speaking in tongues and before flaggers, like when it comes to the charismatic elements of it. And I think a lot of people, when it comes to Christianity, obviously they're new converts, but I was born into it in the sense of my earliest memories are in the church. My dad was the drummer. My mom worked in the children's ministry. At one point, she even became children's minister, children's ministry. I think she might have carried the title of pastor, maybe at the last one, but definitely leader because women can't carry that title in a lot of denominations. But she was like, she led the children's minute. Like we worked together at one point when I was a youth pastor, she was the children's minister or pastor, and which we learned some really good boundaries in that space. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, so I, my earliest memories are in the church, like running around, not just on a Sunday, but on a random Tuesday where my mom's painting a mural in one of the daycare rooms, started working at the church, like at I don't know, 14 or 15, very involved. The church that I would say that probably formed me the most started at 10 all the way till 18. And it was New Life Church in Colorado Springs. It's a mega church. It had one of many mega church scandals. This one was Ted Haggard, who had an affair with a man. And so being a closeted gay kid, witnessing my head pastor at the age of 16, have this scandal and he wasn't even allowed to step back into the church. They read a letter that he wrote. And they asked him not just to leave the state, leave the church, but to leave the state. And to see like this fallout of where I was this kid who was really passionate about what I believed. Like I, for me, it was very personal. It wasn't just something I inherited from my parents. I think that right around the age of 16, so maybe even, oh no, it was later that year. It was 2016. Yeah. So like in February, May of 2016 is like when to use that language that I was raised with, I began a personal relationship with Jesus Christ rather than just taking it from my parents. I was like, okay, no, I want this for myself. And then like, I deeply believed it. I wasn't like, I think there are a lot of people that were raising Christianity that as I've interviewed them with different research that I've done, like it's just something they inherited. But for me, like I definitely, I was a good Christian kid. I loved it. I was committed to it. I planned on being a ministry my likely my whole life. And for it, for me to pivot away from that took a lot of energy and a big deal. Yeah. After Bible, I'm sorry, after graduating, I went off to Bible school, Team Mania's Honor Academy in East Texas. 
they did acquire the fire. Like it was a conference back in like the, it went from like the late eighties all the way to like the 2010s. I think it closed its doors in 2012 because of scandal. Spoiler. Oh, well, that's then, so surprising. What? A church yeah. having a scandal? What? So crazy. Uh, Tale as old as time. <laughs> and then I became a youth pastor and then I was a missionary overseas. And all of it was very non-denominational evangelical flavors of Christianity that I liked. Someone once, one of my old friends, when he heard non-denominational, he was like, okay, but are we talking like basically Baptist non-denominational? And the more and more I've learned about Baptist, I'm like, yeah, that's, that tracks just a little bit more charismatic sprinkled on top. So, yeah. Yeah, I see. Okay. And then I'm really curious about your experiences with your queer identity throughout this. When were you aware that mm-hmm. you were queer in this environment? And then how did that affect you and also the teachings affect you? Yeah, I was, I knew very young. I want to say, obviously, like puberty does something different because of the hormones that are going through your body. But even before that, I would say that there was like a drawing to like the, the male body and with my friends, but definitely around puberty, it's like very hyper aware. So I want to say 11 for sure. I think before then I was like, I would never have used that language. I would have just been like, whatever. But like around 11, 12, like when hormones came online, I was like, I have become that which is hated. Because I think up until that point, it was like a, you know, my parents would make comments like we'd be watching. I remember very vividly, like we'd watch stuff like Gladiator where there's like blood and gore and like we were soldiers where like someone's finger gets like gets blown off. (laughs) And I'm watching Big Daddy in contrast. And there's this gay couple. I don't even think they kiss. It's just known that there's a gay couple in this movie. And like my dad who doesn't curse is cursing be like, oh, why'd they put this in this movie? Or is such a good film? And then hearing that all the time or the silence around it. So it's either like silence or like outrage. I think were the two exp- like ways that I bumped into LGBTQ issues. Like at the youth group level, it would be like, we we're always talking about purity culture, but it was always like boys and girls and the boys are over here and the girls are over there. And meanwhile, I'm over here being like, I'm totally fine with the boys and girls being separate. That's not the problem for me. I'm really good at this purity culture thing. Um, oh, I know what you mean. Oh my God. The little, I relate so much. Listen, I'm still winning. I still haven't had sex with a woman. So like, we're, I'm like beating the purity culture game. Everyone else is losing. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, but, oh, sorry, go ahead. But yeah, like I can just, from my own personal experience with that too, it's just the shame from it. From the environment, mm-hmm. you yeah. are bad. And like you said, you became the hated yep. one or the bad one now. Like you were the bad guy. You were this person that they were talking about, the other. And how did you deal with that? Yeah, I think lots of different ways. I think it, it evolves. But I think that like the idea of becoming the hated one or the worst one is maybe even the better language because like god everything i was doing was great except for this one thing like i was like i followed rules i was very involved i was in leadership i would volunteer i did all the things except for this one asterisk but it was a big asterisk it was the big asterisk and and anytime in my head where i'd be like oh it's not that big of a deal like trying to calm myself down i would dare to put it out there and ask for help. This is back when I was still... So I related initially to my sexuality as something to be despised, as something that I needed to fix. Especially my flavor of Christianity, if you have enough faith and if you do the right things, like life is supposed to work out for you. You're supposed to have an abundant life and miracles are supposed to happen. And so the idea of praying to be straight was not out of the ordinary. And I would often have a lot... I obviously was very shameful with my pastor having this big scandal it was like this is what happens to gay people even though they've done all these other things it doesn't matter and so on the few times that i would be brave enough to like say like you'd go down to the altar my, my flavor of christian i love the altar so you go down to the altar and the words like lust would come out or like pornography would come out but like the idea of ever saying gay or like same sex attracted which i hate that phrase now but that's what i would use back then the few times i ever mentioned it my fears were proved correct. So I think that leading up to that, you can have this like doubt in your brain. Like it's all in your head. It's not that big of a deal. But when you have, you know, an elder 
that you say that and immediately his eyes get big and he runs and grabs his wife or my small group leader, I tell him and he like says that it's a demon tries to perform an exorcism. All these things add to the narrative of, oh no, it is as bad as I thought it was. And so you just shove it down and hope that And I'm a firm believer that when you shove things into shadow, they twist, they want to get out, they're squirming. It's like a toddler or an adolescent that is not being heard. They're going to do whatever they can to be heard. And part of my memoir even is like me coming to terms with the sexuality that's been repressed for a long time and what that looked like for me, but I don't think it's uncommon. Anyway, all that to be said is like, those are all my different ones. Eventually, I came to terms with my sexuality outside of the church because that was the only way I could feel safe. I couldn't do it in this context. And so I felt the writing on the wall on the wall. So after this ministry, after I had these doubts, after hitchhiking, and in that space of not really being connected to a church, that was the only space where I felt like, okay, now I need to really come to terms with this because the consequences aren't going to be as bad. And I have a lot of respect um, for people that process their sexuality while still intimately connected to a church because the stakes are really high. And I think for me, while the stakes still were high and there was still fallout and there's still consequences, I think that I mitigated the fallout by isolating, by not being connected to a church. When I came out there, like I said, like I, I lost a lot of community, like my whole life up until 24, 25 is when I came out. But I started to pull away at 24 was church, ministry, Bible school. And so even though I wasn't intimately like a pastor when I came out, or I wasn't like volunteering aggressively at a church or anything like that, or I even was, I wasn't even technically a member anywhere. I still had a follow of losing friendships, losing family, losing support. And that was after I tried to plan for it. So the people who are like, for, like yourself, that you're at a Christian school and you're coming to terms with that. or And I have friends like that. Like I have a friend that one of my best friends, because he was so terrified of what, how it could affect his credentials. He waited till like literally a month after he graduated because he was so scared of what that could cost him. I have other friends that are like more involved in church and they come out as like side B, which there's some language around that, but in short, like celibate Christian. And it was still really rough, but they had a really beautiful experience of like their church wants them in leadership and they want them talking about their sexuality and educating people. I think it's because it's a type of expression of sexuality that they're comfortable with. But I like I have a lot of respect for people that choose to walk through all of that in the midst of being very intimately connected. Yes. And so I'm really curious about kind of your own journey with your own faith or spirituality. So I know it's changed a lot since leaving that environment, but what has that journey been like for you? All over the place. It even depends on the day. I think that where I land now, it's alluded to it. I don't identify as atheist. I reflect back on my life. And that was something that was really beautiful about the book with like putting words to this and thinking through a lot of my experiences is I don't want my pain and the Christian experience to rob me of beauty. And I think that I experience a lot of beauty from the divine. And that's the language that I use because it feels the most open and accessible and still has the shroud of mystery where I don't need to have the answers. I think for a while I threw it all out because it's it was connected to my persecutors and it was connected to these people who I don't want to look like. But then I lost a lot And a lot that I'm like, there's just this switch while building this app for LGBTQ Christians called Believer. Like we would do these like meetups and one day we didn't have a a speaker. And so Adam, the co-founder was like, hey, can you, would you be up for speaking? I'm like, oh my God, I have not publicly spoke since I was a pastor. (laughs) And I've brought up all these emotions and feelings and it helps me come to terms with, there's a lot of beauty that I've experienced. I am unwilling to surrender. In fact, like as a screw you to my persecutors, I'm not going to let you take those. I want to take these moments and I want to take these things and I want to turn them into something that I think is meaningful for me and is going to carry me through the rest of my life. And not even just the rest of my life, maybe for a couple of years where things change all the time. And I think that if we're not changing, I have a lot of questions. I think that we should be changing and expanding and analyzing and critiquing. But 
yeah, I think that when I first came out, I try, I was, I went from questioning everything to question nothing because it was too scary. Um, Cause coming out was terrifying enough. Then after a relationship ended, it gave me again, permission to be like, okay, I really need to analyze this stuff. And so I went to things like QCF, Q Christian conference, and started to analyze things and read books like Changing Our Minds. And eventually I landed in this place of queer Christian, pretty, I would say like progressive Christian and a lot of progressive Christian spaces I feel super comfortable in. Like they're good people. There's this two organizations I got involved with called Launchpad and with Collective. And like, I remember the first time I went to one of their meetups and it's just like these pastors that have either lost their denominational backing or support or their congregants as a result of either coming out as LGBTQ affirming or like allowing women to be ministers or like saying Black Lives Matter. Like they've experienced a lot of fallout and standing up for these important issues. And so they've started to gather together and meet together and support each other. And like those spaces, I don't always fully align with everything are, I think so are so beautiful. And so I went there and then I think like at some point, I started to just really be like, yeah, I definitely can't align with the Bible completely anymore. There's too many things in there that have unraveled for me. As a result of my sexuality, you first start, I'm sure like, does ever an evangelical listening to your podcast, they'll hear, ah, this is why you don't be gay. It's a slippery slope. And I would say that like my sexuality definitely made me look at the verses. And then I was just like, if... I'm not okay with these verses and rectifying them culturally. Where does it stop? And so then everything came under scrutiny. Like then it was like women in leadership and then it was slavery and then it was genocide. And so all these things came to the surface with these new eyes that I had seen my entire life. And I had nice little intellectual hoops that I've been trained to jump through to come to the correct conclusion. But I think with the space, I was able to see them with fresh eyes and I was like, Oh my God, I'm not okay with a lot of this. Yeah, I now am at a space of, I call it an optimistic, I, I would consider myself very optimistic and I consider myself a seeker. I love talking to people of different faith backgrounds. I love learning and like reading a book on Taoism while also going to a Quaker meeting. Like that's different things. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. And so, yeah, yeah, like you were saying earlier, if you're not changing, you're not really growing and i think there was and i also relate so much to what you said about your sexuality making you question it. and of course there are going to mm -hmm. be the people that say oh like, that's a slippery slope but it was surprising to me to finally see the context behind things and see things in their historical setting okay. that and understanding that oh people can twist the bible and make it fit their own agenda whatever that is and it's been used to oppress mm -hmm. people and then it's like when these people say the Bible is clear, actually, maybe it's not. I read about some things. It always. Or when people say, oh, you're cherry picking, I'm like, so does everyone. Yeah, you don't every pick the verse that says don't eat pork. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Like for clothes that like have different materials, you don't pick that one. Come on. We all cherry pick. Yes. And yeah, and like it is when you're so indoctrinated to not question, it is like eye-opening to come in with this critical analysis of, again, like you said, like women in leadership, slavery, genocide. And, and like you said, you have these things that they teach you to just push that aside or just not dig into that. It's a truth and you can't question that. And I think for me to even question that, yeah. I had to question the authority first and be like, yep. is this... Yep really the perfect inerrant word of god that they say and you're taught that oh you can't mm. doubt this you can't question that that's a sin so overcoming these what these authority figures told me and also like the authority that's yeah. put on the bible itself that those are things i had to like work on really hard to get past and really I think the authority of verse of sorry you go it's all good no, I was just to say, I think the authority for scripture is that's a, that is the biggest thing, especially as a Protestant, because I think that's where the ultimate authority comes. Obviously, there's a lot of power with the interpreter of it, like, what, like the holy man. But as I've investigated stuff, the Catholics, like they, they like the idea of the Bible not being like contradicting itself, that's not been a problem for them. And the, I'm not going to sit here and critique the Catholic Church because I'm not from there. Like, it's not my expression. I'm not going to just talk on something I know. 
What I do know is that like when a Protestant theologian was looking through the manuscripts and catalogs 20,000 inconsistencies, the Catholic Church like responded and was like, yeah, that's why the church is like the final authority, not the Bible. And like all the Protestants are just like, this is Catholic witchcraft. So anyway, I like I do think that is a critical space that Protestant, most Protestant expressions demand of their believers is that you cannot question the text. Yes. And like I, from my background, it was the King James version only. That was the only Oof. legitimate word of God. Yeah. So I'm from. I Which one up- has unicorns in it? So I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they meant rhinoceros. That's what they really meant. That's what I heard. Mm-hmm. That's what I. <laughs> but yeah, so question that authority and. Yeah. And like you said, the unraveling that happens. And for me, it was like, if this is really the truth, it should stand up to scrutiny. That's a red flag that they're telling me I can't question mm-hmm. it. It's the absolute mm-hmm. truth. And if it's the absolute truth, mm-hmm. it should stand up to this. But yet they tell me. And I remember when I first publicly started speaking out online about like deconstructing and some of these things in the Bible, mm-hmm. someone from my background was like, you're not allowed to do that. If you're rich, like if you're really a Christian, you're not allowed to question that. And I was like, not allowed. What? What? <laughs> that was just yeah. also a red flag to me. That you're not supposed to question that. You're supposed to believe and just keep believing. And to mm-hmm. me at this point, I was like, no, no I wasn't going to say this person, you're indoctrinated. All I said was that, like, you can believe whatever you want. I'm like, I understand. I'm like, I think there's some helpful, there's some good wisdom in the Bible, but there's also a lot of terrible things in it, too. And I'm like, if people can't look at that and deal with that's on you, but I can't accept that. <laughs> no, I cannot. I know I'm I've definitely my spirituality has shifted where I think that something if you're OK, that actually I typically have not read excerpts of my book. But there's this one that you're talking about of questioning truth that literally made uh-huh. me think of a specific passage if you're OK with it. Uh, I want to share this if that's OK, but then I want to also clarify that. I think for me now, it's uh, I think something inherited from evangelicalism is the worship of truth. And while I think it's important that we pursue truth, we are never going to arrive at full answers. In fact, the Bible says that the word, like that whole like Greek, John 1, like Jesus is the embodiment of truth. But I think that it's really beautiful in the sense of humans are full of inconsistencies. And it's not this black and white Western thinking that the text said was truth, but instead a incarnate human that was labeled as truth. And I think that it speaks this idea that I think truth is something maybe that we haven't put our hands around. And I think that's so good and okay, because like for me and my spirituality, rather than asking the question of what is true, because I, there's a switch in me where I'm like, there, no one is right. Like we have thousands of religions And inside of the Protestant expression, we have hundreds of denominations and everyone's arguing about who is right. And so if you have to be right, we're screwed. And there was this, and that was really, while I think initially terrifying, it quickly became freeing because instead of my goal being truth and right believing, so orthodoxy, I was reading this book called More Generous Orthodoxy by Brian McLaren. And it, it shifted me. I can remember exactly where I was driving when I was listening to the audiobook and brought up this point of if we're all wrong, the goal can't be that. And so what could be the goal? And now it for me, it's orthopraxy. Like, how can I live in a way that is caring for people, that is challenging systems and structures that are hurting people, that is empowering human beings to live good lives where I'm not causing harm to the person next to me? And otherwise, like if something is bringing you joy and is causing you to thrive and it is not harming the person next to you, I am all about it. You can believe in like to steal the whole like spaghetti monster in the sky like thing like you you can believe that. And if it is if it brings you joy and it is not harming someone like that's where I now land because I'm like, it can't be about the right thinking, because if we do, we are screwed. So it has to be something else or it could all just be chaos in the dark. But if it is anything, it has to be this idea of how can I live in such a way that is going to bring about life to myself Mm. and the people around me? Yeah, sounds like what Jesus wanted, (laughs) honestly. Maybe. (laughs) But to your point of the truth and questioning, I'm just going to 
I'll, I'm going to read this one part really fast. I said, I think of pastors from my past exhorting me, aka a nice religious term used to soften the phrase, I'm telling you what to do, that to his congregation to trust God, to not doubt or question the Bible. Don't let the devil deceive you. He'd say, spittle spewed on the microphone. God will not be mocked. But God is being mocked. He's being mocked by what we do. When you objectively study it, it turns out to be a pretty, conf- it, sorry, he's being mocked by when you objectively study it, it turns out to be pretty confounding if not at times downright flimsy. And how can the devil deceive me if my goal is truth? Is not God truth? Shouldn't truth always stand regardless if I question it or scrutinize it? Shouldn't truth remain steadfast? Shouldn't it stand against a gentle breeze? Shouldn't it resist fear because truth always wins? Why are we so scared to question truth if it's genuinely true? The end. Okay. <laughs> yeah, gosh, I love that so much and yeah that was like and it was hard for me to even get to the point to do that because when you're told Mm -hmm. your entire life this is the right way this is the only way believing differently will lead you astray to satan there's all these fear tactics that keep you in this group that keep you from exploring and now looking back it's like how can you spiritually grow if you cannot seek and if you, and they'll tell you to mm-hmm. seek, but they tell you to seek and find the same answers that they do or see it the same way that they do. And yep. this is the only yep. interpretation. So I'm like, and they're giving you the, all the supposed right answers. And, and looking back, I'm like, how can you grow spiritually in that? And I'm like, I can understand that the comfort of certainty mm-hmm. that comes with that, the structure that comes with that mm-hmm. and this definite plan of life with a purpose, just serve the church, be in the ministry, do this. I'm like, I can understand the psychological benefits with the deeper spiritual growth i'm like how can you grow if you can't really Hmm. explore i love how you were saying you're optimistic and you're a seeker like i feel like i'm the same way like i've become such a seeker and that's why like people have asked me they're like oh what do you believe or what do you don't believe and i'm like i don't i haven't said anything about that yet because like i have so much more to explore and dig Mm -hmm. into and i think for me what i noticed was so many people who left i mean they claim the tag evangelical they've a lot of them have found some other belief or disbelief and then spend so much time either defending it or fighting against other things and Mm. for me like Mm. with my platform like i'm all about speaking up and bringing awareness to the toxicity but for me it's Mm. it's not very helpful to tell people oh you're right you're wrong it can bleed that mindset Mm. can bleed Mm. its way over into different mindsets and different groups so for me it's like i'm taking my own path i don't want to have to feel like i have to defend or have the answer for whatever I do or don't mm-hmm. believe. That's very. That's what I was taught all the time growing up. Have an answer for everything, and it's just so exhausting mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah, you can go. I think that's one of the things that. You know, <laughs> I think one of the things that I, along your point of needing to have an answer. I think we we I think we were chatting about this earlier, but the I, the state the phase of X is I think super important to react to and be like okay I'm no longer that thing, I think it's super important. So X evangelical I'm now leaving this space. I don't know where I'm off to, but I do know I need to get away from here. Like this, like I've recognized that I've been injured, I've been hurt, I've been abused. I need to I don't know where I just need to get away. I think that stage is super important. What I have found is that I think a lot of people leaving not mm, I shouldn't say a lot. I bumped into people leaving who carry a remnant of evangelicalism, and that's that they still need to have the right answer. And as they're leaving, they find a new right answer that they not only believe rigidly, but also want everyone else to believe rigidly with them. And while it's a different belief system altogether, the framework is still the same where it doesn't allow, you're still creating in and out groupings. You're still creating this, like, I have the right answer. And my question to those people would be like, are you not carrying with you a remnant of evangelicalism? Wouldn't true deconstruction actually say, let me even analyze the form, not just the content to steal Marx's language, but the form that it's built into that should be questioned. And I think that is something that a lot I'm seeing people leaving evangelicalism that I'm like, oh, I think you're limiting every person in journeys the same, I'm not going to tell you that yours is right or wrong. What I do know is that I, I, I've i been there and I feel like it's quite limiting rather than being like, maybe there's lots of answers that maybe they don't necessarily fit. Maybe they sing in harmony to each other, or maybe there is no right answer. Maybe the answer isn't necessarily about truth, but life and benefit and growth. 
and mm. healing and beauty. Yeah. And that can look different for every person. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. And it's just so true. And something else I want to dig into is really like your own healing journey. Like what has been crucial in your healing journey? Yeah. I was thinking about it because like you said you're so well prepared and you sent me those questions ahead of time and I was like mulling them over because I don't know of a lot of people that have asked me that actually. The arc of my book though, at the end of it, again, I use like miniature little stories of moments that were critical to me that they changed me in certain ways, whether it be like the deconstruction process, me coming to terms with my sexuality process. And then end of the book is devoted to moments that kind of built up a semi-trust that there is some type of divine entity beyond me that I want to believe in or healing wounds from my my upbringing. And so that's the latter third of the book. And what is interesting about all those different chapters is there are other people at the heart of every single chapter, whether that be on the, I've been hurt and I'm now like leaving and breaking things down. And now I'm not at this like base level of, I don't know what I believe. And now I'm picking up some stuff. Both involves people. And I think it shows the power of humanity because I think that a lot of people, when I look at the data of when we start first questioning Christianity or whatever belief system we come from, typically, not always, typically it's the behavior of a believer and how we were treated, whether that would be the leadership, whether that be the structure that we're a part of, like a school, whether that be our friends and family, a lot, or a political figure. I think that's always what kind of, for a lot of us, that's the beginnings. And for me, when I look at my story, I see a lot of moments with people. I had a couple of moments by myself and with something that felt divine, I def definitely came through. And that's why I decided to carry some type of theism with me. But I also experienced beauty and the divine in people. And, it, and that's what changed me was like run-of-the-mill conversations and all of a sudden we bump into something and I'm like, oh, that is an important thought. And sometimes I would just be like a casual conversation and the other part would be in a more structured space. I'm very fortunate where it's, I think there is something about me that loves cults, whether that be because of my upbringing or the belonging that it offers. I'm involved in this men's group that a number of my friends, there's no absolute leader. It's communal leading. So it's, it doesn't have one of the like features of a, but there's some secrecy to it because it's like, we want to create a safe space where like people aren't talking about what happens outside of here. So we can create a space where anyone can share anything. And we're going to support them unless they have harmed a child or an elderly person. They could come in here and say that they are planning on divorcing their spouse or cheated on them. And we're going to hold space for them to process that. We're going to also ask them questions and have themselves hold themselves accountable, not me holding them accountable, but like, hey, what are the consequences of you having this affair? Have you thought through that? Can you live with those consequences? Okay. It's bringing it back to the person. But a question that is always asked in this space without judgment is what do you want? And growing up in the flavor of Christianity that I did, what I wanted was never even on the table. In fact, what I wanted was likely bad. So mo a lot of decisions in my life growing up, I picked the opposite of what I wanted because I was like, what I want is likely selfish and probably bad. So what's something that's real that I would hate? Because probably God wants me to suffer for him. And so I'd pick the thing that I hated. And I can look at some big decisions in life that I made that choice. I was like, I'm going to do the hard thing for Jesus. And so having week after week, this group of men, a good chunk of them still evangelical Christian, which that was like a terrifying thing, but then also healing when I saw these men hear about how I'm like dating men and they're like loving me and accepting me and hugging me and threatening to beat people up for me. Like that was super healing. But for them to ask, what do you want? And for me to get in touch with that, because I had not, I didn't know. And I think that was a huge part. I would also say, so like these moments of like human beings bumping into them and choosing to be vulnerable, choosing to own my truth, choosing to say, this is where I'm at, choosing to say, this is what I want before other people and for to experience grace and it's a risk and to experience love, like true love, I think is a part of the healing process after that X phase. And that X phase of creating distance and space and forming boundaries and leveraging something like anger. Another part of this, like men's room part of it, is like befriending anger. 
I used to repress it and shut it down. But understanding that anger is not a bad emotion. It is simply an emotion. And it empowers us with power. It gives us energy through the chemicals it pushes through our veins to fight or flight and freeze and fawn. But specifically, like it's meant to help you like step into hard conversations. It's meant to help you stand up for yourself, for the people that you love. And so in that X phase, I'm like, I'm leaving Christianity. I need space from these people. And when people choose to reach out to me that are going to hurt me, I have now built a trust in myself that I did not have before, where previously my trust was exported to the church, exported to God, exported to my family, exported to literally anything else because I could not be trusted because the heart is deceitful. But the structure I can trust and the pastor I can trust and the Bible I can trust and God I can always trust and by I can always trust because they can do no wrong. I did not could not trust myself. And as I built trust in myself of speaking up for myself, getting in touch with what I wanted, sharing those things. And when people didn't disagree to say, hey, like we can disagree, but you will not speak to me that way. There's now this trust inside myself where I've created safety for me because I chose to connect with who I am. I chose to create space to do that because I needed the space to begin with. I think that like now I can be around people I, like Christians and evangelicals and I'll be okay. But for a while, I could not be around them because I would react. I would, someone would say something like, oh, what church do you go to? And I'd blow up on them. Oh, just because I live in Colorado Springs, which is where I'm from, I have to be going to a church. That's not appropriate first question and would stand up for myself. Now I've done that work. I was like, I can be okay. I can be with someone that I disagree with and it's not going to ruin me. Because I think that what I also tell people who have reached out to me via DMs, like being like, hey, do you have any advice? My big thing is you've got to do the internal work for yourself first. Because I found myself that anytime someone criticized me being gay, criticized my beliefs around like the Bible not being perfect, until I had settled that in myself, from reading books, from talking it through, from thinking it through, whatever your process is. Until you do that, those conversations become very threatening and you have to win. And if you don't, then it can be really devastating. And I had a lot of those moments for a couple of years, I would say at least two years, where those conversations were too scary. And so I needed space. And then in that space, I created that safety inside of myself. And then I could come back and it's like, I can stand up for myself. I can take care of myself. And we love some therapy. But my biggest thing is I think there is power for good and evil in humans. And I think that's why it's super important that is when you are leaving uh, evangelicalism, you need to find someone that you, when you, whether you're before you're leaving, I, that's when I would recommend it. If you are like, I need to start analyzing this, find people that will will hold you. Like you can test it with them and be like, hey, I, I have questions about this. And they're like, oh my God, me too. Grab those people because you're going to need those people when it starts to become more public because the process of deconstruction, the process of criticizing things, the process of leaving faith systems, even if you're like leaving a church that you're realizing was culty and you're going to a different church, there is going to be a process of loss of community and it can be really scary and devastating and and we need each other. That's been our strength as a species. I'm like reading this beautiful book called Sapiens and like the thing that set us apart, it is not our intellect. It is not our strength. It is the fact that we've been able to communicate to each other. The reason we were able to take down like a mammoth is because we could strategize and say, we need spears that we can create. You stand over there. We stand over here. We'll rush them into this valley. We could communicate. We need each other. I guess that's a long answer. Sorry about that, Andrew. <laughs> oh, please don't apologize. It was wonderful. I was taking it all in and just thinking just about it and pondering on it. But I think really what I saw a lot of what you were describing, what you were saying is going from this place of disconnection to connection, connecting to yourself. Mm -hmm. So then you can connect mm -hmm. with other people. And having what I described, mm. like really mm. what it sounded like you were describing with that group you're a part of was you found this place where you truly belong. And I think a lot of us who grew up queer in Christianity, we had that feeling of really not belonging. Like we had to fit in. We had to be mm. somebody else. We had to play the role, play the part. But when you get to that space where you belong, where you are seen, heard and understood and like every 
part of you is accepted. You don't have to change yourself for anyone and you can be vulnerable. That is life-changing and healing. And I think that's what happens when you're in these religious environments and you experience that religious trauma is it disconnects you from yourself. Mm-hmm. And you have to learn to connect with that and then connecting with others. And I remember seeing someone, I think it was Tia Levings or something, that says something on social media that like, you cannot heal in isolation. And what you were seeing with mm-hmm. the sapiens, like we were meant to communicate, we were meant to be together and to originally an evolutionary like sort of like <laughs> survival but also like socially too like we need mm-hmm. that as part of our needs and when you don't are not able to meet that in an environment that embraces you you will suffer a lot and it takes time i think for some people to really get to the point where you are able to be vulnerable because you were under these leaders, these people that you trusted, and then they completely destroyed that. And thank you for sharing your journey with the things that have been healing for you. But that my last question is, after people read your memoir, what is the core thing that you want them to take away from it? Yeah. I think it would mention this a little bit earlier, but I think the biggest thing is, yeah, I'm, this book is not written with, here are the five answers that I found post-evangelicalism. That's not the genre that I write. It's not the form. Instead, it's, hey, here's my story and here's some lessons that I have learned. And yeah, going back to that illustration of being lost in a forest of like when we leave the the village, so to speak, and we're in the woods, instead of me saying, here's the way, it's here's my way. And if that helps, yeah, here's a little ribbon on a tree that like, you can eat this, go this way, I went this way, is my hope. And what's interesting is also, as people are reading it, like my launch team, they've gotten it, you've gotten like people who are like helping me and sharing this book, like we're trying to get into your hands so that you're not just like blindly being like, yeah, you should check out those books. We want to do that. And so as I'm getting feedback from these people, something that I've, two things I'm really excited that I'm hearing people say is one, like I'm creating like a, a, a psychological space for someone. And even on the page, like I don't write a ton. It's a, it, it's not a small book, but like on the page, like I intentionally, there's gaps where I'm just writing like a sentence and a line. There's this idea of space, of slowing down, of like, processing. But then also, I want people who finish reading Stumbling to feel hope. I think that's the biggest thing that I want people to take away as they close the page is, yes, feel understood. Yes, take some nuggets with you that are going to help you. But above all, there's so much hope to be had as we critique this space that said, if you leave, you have no hope. If you leave, you're going to be cold and alone in by by a, a cold hearth of your heart when actually like leaving is it can be so good and so that's that's my hope at the end of it for mm. people that read the book yeah thank you so much for sharing that and it's just so inspiring and it's great to be able to see people on the outside who can find because that's i think what keeps people there are many things that keep people in but the fear of being hopeless, the fear of not finding love when, you know, you still don't, you can't compare. You've only been in one environment, so you don't know that uncertainty. And this is also another question. This is actually my last one, psych, but this is something I'm starting (laughs) to ask. This is the one question that from now on when I do shows, I'm going to ask every guest. And I want to ask, like, how has speaking up impacted you and impacted others? I'm a verbal processor. And I mention that in the book a lot. I think the reason that some of the most important moments for me are when I'm like talking with people is I'm bumping into stuff that I believe in. And so I think speaking up has forced me to refine what I think and question it. There have been times where I've said something and like I've gotten pushback because it's been publicly put out there. And I'm like, oh, that's actually a very valid point. Thank you. And not being scared to be wrong. I do think that I think cancel culture can be so important where it's like, hey, there's this company and they're harming people. Let's not purchase from them or something like that. I think there's a lot of power in society of us rallying together and be like, hey, we should not be giving this person attention as a result of the harm that they're causing. I think it's so important. I think one thing that I saw that made me so sad in relation to this was like Lizzo, 
used the word spaz in one of her songs in Australia and New Zealand. Like it's a really offensive term. And she had no idea. She found out, she re-recorded the whole entire song and then re-released it. And there's a number of people that didn't have grace for her because she messed up once. And I, that's so sad because if we're all scared to make a mistake because we're going to get canceled or something like that, I think that we're going to be, we're not going to have the important conversations. I'm very grateful for a moment where I was talking about, it felt like evangelicalism has blood on their hands. And I put this video up of like red blood on my hands because I, on my face, because I was living in Colorado Springs, the shooting happened there at a club, at a gay club, quick club. And I'm like, this doesn't happen in a vacuum. Like it was the whole video. And I put this like red hand print on my face and like I had people comment me and like, hey, like indigenous women are using this as a symbol of them disappearing for sexual abuse and like women just go missing silently and nothing's happening. And so they're using us as a symbol for that. And while your message is important, I don't think that it's appropriate. And I was like, I thank you. Like, I'm so grateful that me putting things out there is forcing me to take stock of, do I believe this? And when I am wrong saying, Hey, I am so sorry. Let me own that and change. So yeah, speaking out, I am so grateful that I get to learn that I get to formulate what I think and distill it and to steal a Christian phrase, put it to the fire of voices and thoughts and opinions. <laughs> yeah. And then lastly, I think, and this is the biggest thing for why I wrote the book and put the content out there is like, I hope that whatever mess, whatever stumbling I've experienced through life, because there's not a right way forward, that people can experience some semblance of hope and feel understood and seen. And if those are things are happening whether it be on TikTok or Instagram or through my book, then I'm very glad. Last thing, because this is more recent, and that is research around the harm that Christians are causing, I think is so important. It's why so many people are leaving. And I think that people raising their voices about that right now, regardless of what it costs them, I think is so important because lives are at stake, souls are at stake to steal again some Christian language I've inherited. But I do think that like people's lives are at stake as a result of the harm that especially evangelical Christian churches have inflicted upon us. And so I also would say that's important to me with speaking up. Yes, thank you so much for speaking up through your content, your book, and going on this podcast. And I have no doubt your book is going to make an impact on people and have larger conversations. But thank you so much for coming on this show, sharing your story, talking about your book. It's been an honor to have you on. Thank you so much, Andrew. I, it's been a really good conversation. So thank you for having me. Appreciate I, it. Of course. And for people listening, you haven't already, go to the link in the show notes, go buy his book, go share it, go follow him on social media and TikTok. And then, oh yeah, I'll link the Believer app thing too. Like if anyone is interested in cool. that, I'll link that below.